Pod Only Knows is a Cage Club podcast. For other smart podcasts on culture, pop, and otherwise, go to cageclub.me. You can contact us via email at pok at cageclub.me. You can find me on Twitter at probablyrealjb. And you can find me at kelly underscore j underscore baker. And you can find the show on Twitter at podonlyknowspod. The show is written and produced by us. Welcome to Pod Only Knows. I'm Kelly Baker. I'm John Brooks. Welcome back to another chit chat episode. It's a chit chat episode, and it's a good time for a chit chat episode because, um, in case you can't tell, like my voice isn't great right now. Okay. <laughs> I'm struggling. <laughs> I'm struggling to get it out. Every every around October first, which is around now, uh, within a few days, uh, the weather changes and the air pressure changes and the humidity changes and my respiratory system just every year without fail around this time just goes just freaking like, haywire oh no haywire oh, no. so like the, the 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 leaves kind of uh rotting and like mold and all that sort of thing just like sends my uh, entire respiratory system for a loop so i always go through like a week where my voice gets real rough <laughs> <laughs> And I probably by the end of this chit chat episode won't have any voice left, but we'll see. Oh we'll no! See how that no, goes. we don't want to yeah. doom you. But yeah, we it's might. Fine. So we'll it's see. fine. Every, yeah. If you listen to my to like my podcast, you can always go back to the ones that come out around October, <laughs> and you can just Stop. hear it. Like it's always, it's always there. Um, it's, oh it's man! Funny. So yeah, yeah, great time to do an episode where all we do is talk great. to each other. But it's we'll great. see how. We'll see how that we'll goes. See how it how it turns out, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I assume that's not your good news. That's not <laughs> my good news. <laughs> is it your voice is failing? Nope. Uh, no. No. That's that's a that's a warning to listeners. No, my good news is that uh, my soccer team that I coach, uh, we had two cancellations from rain already. So our first two games got rained out. Uh, so we've been practicing since the beginning of the school year. So that's been about three weeks. Uh, and we have not had a game until today. And the girls were absolutely like chomping at the pit to get on the field and like play an actual game against somebody. And they won seven to one. <laughs> hey, look at there. <laughs> and, and the best part is like one of my best players has never played soccer before. Like today was oh, the first awesome. game she has played in her life. Um, and she scored four goals. So that's <laughs> so. unusual these days, right? I mean, yeah. usually by the time they're at like JV, they've already usually played for a, a pretty long time. So um, she is, um, she's a one year student. She's Italian. So she's doing her senior year at the school I teach at. Um, oh, wow. And she is like a, she's like a track athlete, but she, there's no track in the fall. So she decided to tr- give soccer a try. So um yeah she came out, she came out on fire today and scored a hat trick and then added one on just for good oh measure. my gosh yeah it's amazing <laughs> it's ridiculous <laughs> um so yeah uh looks like it's going to be a fun season but um certainly seven to one is a is a good way a sort of ridiculous lopsided um soccer score is a good way to start it off so i'm happy about that um and that yeah that's certainly 
It certainly made my day. So um, what is, what's your good news? You know, I think we should just go with soccer related. Why don't we just go with let's, soccer? Okay, let's, let's stay let's with just, soccer. Let's stay with soccer. So yeah. um, my youngest is playing soccer, City League, right? Um, his team has been not so great, but they're also eight and nine and 10 year olds. So okay. I don't know really what the expectation should be. My expectation is they should have fun. This is not the expectation <laughs> of a lot of the parents. Is what we've mm. learned um, mm -hmm. in our journey through the city soccer league. <laughs> we have discovered that not everybody is on the let them have fun if they want to turn cartwheels on the field. No big deal sort of yeah. side of things. Um, yeah. So they've had a great time. My partner is one of the is an assistant coach. Right. Like we've really kind of like gone all in the season. You know, I have a. My, my kid is a defensive player, which means that he's super stoked that he doesn't have to run quite as much as the offensive players run, you know, sure. like sure. Yep. take the mm -hmm. wins where you get them, right? This sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, but they have had two back-to-back -back wins this week where nice. they have just had a, and they've had a really good time doing it. So it's not just <laughs> that they've won, but they've actually really come together as a team and had a good time so that and they're so surprised when they get goals <laughs> which is really like delightful to watch right uh -huh. when, when they like get the goal and then they're like wait did that happen wait it did happen what? it's very like mighty you know? ducks like, yeah. <laughs> yeah no it's super adorable you know yeah. um and there's one player on his team who um, she's really amazing and has like a ton of um, shots on goal and she's just a really good player. It's just the like technique is not entirely there yet because, you know, she's like eight or nine. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and so she finally got her like hard fought goal this week. And so nice. it was kind of amazing to watch. And um, we had like a textbook. Um, I don't know that you call it a rebound in soccer because I'm not a soccer person. I just kind of- Call it a rebound. Sure, yeah. why not? Okay, yeah. textbook yeah. rebound from one of the other players um, this week and had a glorious celebration dance on field, which I'm not <laughs> sure you really should have, but again, eight, nine-year-olds, so it was pretty darn cute. Um, but yeah, so it was neat to sort of see that happen this week and have them be super excited about it. Now, um, do I think we're gonna end up in the tournament? At the end of the season? <laughs> no. <laughs> are they going to have a lot of fun on the field until then? Sure, they are, right? Um, and they're doing a really good job, but, you know. The scrappy band of, like, ragtag band of players isn't going to, like, do the Disney movie and win it all. Oh, I'm Go laughing so hard. No, um, bless them. Emilio I, Estevez. Yeah, like, I, I yeah. do not imagine that we are going to have a Mighty Ducks season. <laughs> Okay. on our hands i mean it could like it could it could happen maybe you had a couple of mighty ducks yeah. games but yeah. we did have a couple of mighty ducks games and so it was a mm -hmm. lot of fun to like watch and to have the kids out there and have such a good time and um what i think is really neat is that um their coach um and this is the benefit of living in the small town that i do this is um my ex-brother-in-law who is their coach um is really okay. good at like 
emphasizing not the win, but like, what do we do on the field? What do we do well? What do we need to work on? That kind of stuff. And so at the end of the game, they do that kind of stuff. And so that they were more excited about like, what did we do this time that we did better than we did the last time, right? Like, Mm -hmm. what do we need to work on and this kind of thing. And so, you know, who are our star players of the week and what did they, why are they the star players, right? And it's not necessarily because they got goals, right? It might be that they were better at teamwork or they did some other kind of stuff. And so that, I think is the really cool thing about it. Um, But yeah, it's just the kind of funness of it um, where I have kind of leaned into the soccer momness, but also, (laughs) (laughs) but also like not in the, like, I expect my child to have a soccer scholarship (laughs) sort of mode in which some, some of the parents there act, but more like, this is a lot of fun. They're having fun. Let's just let them enjoy this as much as they can. Right. Um, plus like, what do we expect? We paid 40 bucks. They get a Jersey. Like really. (laughs) (laughs) That one parent, like no fun is what's standing between my kid and Dartmouth. That's right. Yeah. 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 Like some of the parents out there, you would really think that like fun was the epitome of like, something terrible yeah Yeah. and so um i try to not set my chair up near those folks if i can that's a good idea if i can get away with it um can't always but i try to so yeah so our soccer theme this week yeah you know um, yeah and like my my team like they have they don't they don't have like victory dances but they have like (laughs) victory like choreography like they do like little tiktoky type dances sometimes when they score goals So it's not like there's a, there's a reasonable limit within like what is considered a good sportsmanship, I think. But like, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think like a three minute musical interlude is probably not called. For, yeah, but, probably you know, not. Little, like, yeah. Little, yeah. They do this little like, I don't know, jivey things. Yeah, but of course. Is that, is that still a Naturally. word? I don't know. Yeah. The I things that I think people do on TikTok based on the little I know about TikTok. Uh, yeah. I try to stay away from there. I mean, yeah, I just... it's terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was like, I too much, too much out there that I just don't want to know about on TikTok. And I feel like I'm good. Yeah. My understanding is there. like you do dances in exchange for like handing over all of your data to like foreign spies. You know, I think, the, I mean, maybe <laughs> again, okay. I, I willingly tried to not know about it. So. <laughs> <laughs> Well, moving on from soccer, anyway. Um, <laughs> on that note. <laughs> on that note. So what uh, we wanted to talk about this week is... So for some context, so a couple weeks ago, you were um, talking to our friends at the Conspiracy Normal podcast. You were talking yeah. about the Klan, and I was listening to you talking about the Klan and, uh, from, from your book, uh, Gospel According to the Klan. And it was around the same time that Enrique Tario of the Proud Boys was sentenced to 22 years in prison for his role in January 6th. And I, and I was thinking about, like, this is sort of a, 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 a bugbear for me <laughs> right now, yeah. which is, like, there, the, the new kind of inheritors of the Klan – Okay. The 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 modern sort of you know male oriented white supremacist mm-hmm. far right sort of uh, 
quasi-militia groups, right, that are sort of in that clan heritage. How a lot of them are sort of defying the sort of religious and explicitly white supremacist sort of language of the clan. And I was thinking about the way that, like, you were talking about the way that the clan sort of became successful in the 1920s because they were mainstream and and this idea of like the importance of like mainstreaming as a function of like white supremacist groups. Mm -hmm. And then also like the way that religion is leveraged or not. And like what that says about religion um, as a function of, of these groups. Right. Yeah. So let's talk about the clan first. So, I mean, I was talking with Adam and Serfiel about, you know, that one of the things we don't think about when we think about the clan is that they were mainstream. I think this is like my biggest soapbox ever mm-hmm. that I like carry around with me and like pop out and then yell at people about um, is about how, you know, there are millions of members of the clan in the 1920s that they weren't just about patriotism. They were also about faith that when we're talking about them, we're talking about people that were extremely middle class. We were talking about people that were populating churches um, and that their beliefs were not fringe, right? They weren't out of sorts. What was sort of out of the mainstream was performance, right? Like hoods and robes, burning crosses. The theater of it was the spectacular piece that made them so different. Um, but people were buying into that as well. Um, but the beliefs and ideas that they had and the mainstream Protestantism that they committed to and promulgated, I mean, that was not out of the ordinary. So they're firmly entrenched in the mainstream and were promoting the mainstream because they wanted to be a part of that, right? They wanted to be a part of the central piece of America and the essential pieces of America that they saw, right? Which was 100% patriotism, which was white supremacy. And they had no hesitation about talking about white supremacy. Like it wasn't that this was a term that they were shying away from, right? Like it wasn't a hesitance or this playing around with that language. Um, They were very much interested in the white race being supreme and there's not the kind of nervousness or the dog whistles that we have today when people are trying to maneuver around that in some sort of way. Um, So, you know, the landscape for them was different than the landscape is today. Um, But that that mainstreaming piece, I think, is so essential, like you point out, right, Um, that it really is a tactic to show that you're pretty much the dominant group and you want to stay the dominant group. And you do this by showing your commitment to the dominant values, but also latching yourself onto those dominant values and continuing them in your own way. Right. And making sure that you're a part of those and that you shift those values to match your own. So that when they're talking about Protestantism, it's a particular clan version of Protestantism that might match with what evangelical Christianity has to say, right? Um, But it also very much had a white supremacist notion attached to it. Not to say Mm -hmm. (laughs) there weren't white supremacist notions embedded, right, in evangelicalism, in the 
1920s, right? I'm not going to give it a pass there. Um, but it was more explicit with the Klan. Um, and so you find that this is a strategy that they used and continued to use throughout the 20s, right? Um, into the 30s too, um, or late, well, 1930 is about where I mark the end of that. Um, but through the 20s, they use this as a, a strategy to kind of continue their movement and to build their membership and to build their influence, um, to just say that they're the sort of average, normal, when scare quote, right, Americans who you would expect. And anybody that didn't match that should be excluded and shouldn't be included in anything, right? And should be understood as an outsider and shouldn't be understood as a threat. Um, and that kind of thinking has definitely carried through as we've seen continuously mm -hmm. in mm -hmm. a number of different iterations um, and picked up <laughs> in the language of particular um, political parties, right? And how they... Not naming and, names, but yeah. Not sure. naming names, but how they understand themselves and present um, things like immigration, right? Um, right. And how they want to classify the nation still as a nation only for particular types of people. Um, and we see that in far right um, groups to this day, that there's still this desire for this kind of white nation um, at all costs. And that it's a very particular type of white nation and that there are a whole bunch of people that fall outside this and that they're crafting that in a way that is very, very exclusive and, um, very, very dangerous rhetoric that kind of surrounds that to you. Um, but yeah, so we were talking about that um, and thinking through that and particularly in the twenties, but, and we kind of transitioned to thinking through about the present, but we didn't quite mm -hmm. entirely get there. Right. But that's what you're thinking through. I, um, John is where are we at now? Right. And what are yeah, we and, and, and I kind of yeah. want to think about like the trajectory so, like, where we get from, because I think part of what's important about the Klan is that there are a number of, again, far-right groups that are far more prominent now that use mm -hmm. the same tactics but have modified the language and sort right. of the, the window dressing. Yeah. And and the clan are kind of a joke now. Yeah, sort of they totally are. Yeah. Right? They're sort of like considered to be like the redneck, like, you know, the South will rise again. Like it's it's it, it doesn't fit in to the kind of like elite white supremacy that has, you know, that was part of like the January 6th white supremacists. So I'll get back to that in a second. But like, I, I guess I think a lot of people probably our age and the people listening remember when the clan was trying to sort of regain some yeah. kind of public legitimacy like through jerry springer like yeah. the daytime talk shows of like the 80s yep. and 90s phil donahue and they would go on and then like you have david duke and they, they would go on and they would you know but but at that point like they're already outside of the mainstream yes right? they're trying to sort of right. force their way force their way back in so like what what happened in that space of time where this this brand name right, right kind of like yeah. became yeah. not mainstream and became a joke 
No, I think one of the ways to really understand it is that the 1920s Klan was the most mainstream, most unified Klan, where you had millions of members, you had the most buy-in, I think, by white Protestant Americans. And then you had a violent Klan in the 50s and 60s that was virulently opposed to segregate to integration, very much in favor of segregation, um, very much in favor of committing acts of violence. And that kind of severed the point for the Klan, right? So no longer could the Klan claim to be respectable, right? They couldn't mm. claim to be... Um, not that they were nonviolent in the 20s, but they like to pretend anyway, right? And have this veneer mm -hmm. of nonviolence, right? They like to have this veneer of um, not being involved in terrorism, even though they're burning crosses on people's yards, right? So they're mm -hmm. still engaged in acts of racial terrorism in the 20s. They just were able to try to soften the blow through this branding and this sort of thing. The 50s and 60s make it hard to make any of those claims anymore. They're not able right. to do it. Um, and, you know, and I think that after that moment, it becomes harder for them. And the 1950s and 60s also means that we get that image of the Klan attached to racism in a way, you know, where the Klan hood and robe become almost the symbol of racism, right? Like, you know, I used to joke that if you were going to have an image of racism attached to an article, like if there's an article about racism that was going to appear somewhere, you would almost mm -hmm. automatically have a Klansman. Like it, the <laughs> article might not even be about racism, but like, like in the that, montage, like yeah, in the like the mon yeah, 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 like, yeah. you know, of all the images, there'd be a Klansman yeah. there. Right. Somehow, gotta get one in there. Yeah. Right. Yep. <laughs> um, yeah. And so I think it was that shift that happened. And so 80s and 90s, Clans, which is now a splintered and fractured movement, right? No longer a unified movement after the 20s. Um, that they were trying for this respectability. So you have someone like David Duke, who's wearing a suit, right? Who's very right. much trying to claim this respectability again, trying to claim that the Klan is not, that, that it can be something again, right? In this sort of right. way. But people just... It doesn't work in the same way, right? Um, right. Though, you know, this is a guy who ran for governor, too, we should note. Um, and so it just, they just couldn't get momentum again, right? Yeah. Couldn't have the kind of unification. Uh, there's a writer at Slate, and I can't remember who it was, pretty much like called the Klan in the early 2000s or the early 2010s, the, your grandpa's um, hate group, right? Mm -hmm. Is sort of the way mm -hmm. he characterized it. You know, yep. that it just didn't, it just couldn't keep track in the same way, right? So there's still our clan groups and there's still people that wear the hood and robes, but it just didn't like track with the modern era in the same way that other white supremacist groups did, right? And so yeah. in the 2010s, there were militia groups, there were alt-right groups, right, in this, like, big constellation. There were far-right groups, right? That There were other groups that were more modern who understood the internet era in a way that the Klan just didn't latch on, right? Like, it just couldn't do it. And I think 
you know, it was also, like you said, kind of associated with a South in a very like stereotypical way too, that it just didn't have the kind of national feel anymore as well. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, in a way that it once did. Um, so yeah, it just, just kind of fizzled out and over its history, it won't go away, which I think is an interesting thing, right? That there's still plans. The numbers have dwindled, but it just hasn't been able to recapture the numbers anywhere near what it had in the twenties. And I don't imagine it ever will. Right. And I say that as a historian who doesn't like to predict things, (laughs) things, <laughs> right? Like, No, but I, I think you know? you're right, because yeah. I think there's some something fundamental about sort of the way that the culture has shifted around yeah. and, and the priorities have shifted that I think certain groups have figured out that you have to reframe certain elements of yeah. these things to achieve ultimately the, the same goal. But but you are you are expanding the notion of things like whiteness and yep you know, what, what sort of, what sort of Christianity is, is acceptable. Yep. I mean, you consider the fact, for instance, that like, you know, you have, you have Nazis rallying for, for Ron DeSantis, who's a Catholic. And the idea of that even, you know, 30, 40 years ago, is just like, it's mind blowing. Right. But then you also have like Jim Caviezel and Mel Gibson who are, you know, um, they're, they're set of vacantist Catholics, but they are, they are still like fundamentalist Catholics, right? And and they're still very much attached to their Catholicism, but they they fit right in with the sort of um, Christian nationalist white supremacy right. Right. agenda. So, like, I, I, I guess I think one of the things that's useful to maybe think about then is that when we think about the Klan in the twenties, uh, it's it's like they weren't shifting the Overton window. They were just sort of hanging out at the very far fringes of where the window was. And as the window moved, like they couldn't move along with it, and sort of right. that sort of right, and that's sort of where they where they faltered, right? Like they that the the culture kind of moved on without them, yeah. And and they they were not shifting the window; they were just kind of inhabiting the furthest fringe of the mainstream space that they possibly could, because that was essential to like their agenda, right? Right. Yeah, and I mean, and one of the things that I think is so interesting about that is that they did become a fringe movement, right? So they went from mainstream to a more fringe movement. But the rhetoric that they had very much continued on, which is something you mentioned at the beginning, right, of this conversation, which is the kind of talking points that they had and the rhetoric and these ideas definitely got picked up and continued through the mainstream and into other rightist groups. Right. Right. Um, right. That that didn't fall apart. Um, so, but the kind of the group very much got stuck behind. Right. Um, but the ideas that they had, had staying power. Um, and so I think that's one of the things that trips people up about the Klan is that they think about the Klan now and they're like, oh, well, this group, like, really, Kelly, really? Mm. <laughs> you, you know, these yeah. these are the folks that you want to talk about and like mainstreaming. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like, let's think further back and then let's think about the ideas that they had and move them forward, right? Uh, and that's a different kind of conversation. Um, 
but yeah, so I can understand why it trips folks up. Um, sometimes when I'm talking about this, where they're like, I'm just not sure about what you're saying here. And I'm like, yeah, I know. Cause you're thinking about someone who found clan robes in the attic of some relative, right. Who had them in like, mm-hmm. you know, the fifties or sixties, or you're thinking about the clan rally that happened. that's like teeny tiny that you saw in some rural city that happened to make the news, right. Or something like this. You're not thinking right. about like the giant March on Washington, <laughs> Right. You know, that happens in the 20s, you know, right. or the fact that we're talking millions of members or, you know, congressional hearings or these sorts of things. Right. You're thinking about other pieces <laughs> of this that Jerry Springer, <laughs> right? Like this, this other kind yes. of piece, you know, um, yeah. that paints a different story, um, but only a partial one. Yeah, I mean, I think one way of thinking about just as a useful sort of, you know, measuring stick for like how how different the culture is now of the clan then and the clan now is like, as everybody on right wing Twitter like loves to point out the clan, we're all Democrats, right? You know, oh, oh um, my gosh, I know, right? <laughs> I don't I mean, know I love, how I mean, often. It, it's, yeah, it's like, yeah, and how many de- how many clan members voted for Hillary Clinton? Give me a number. Like, oh. you know, how many clan members today are supporting you know, uh, I don't, I don't know Democratic how often, how often I have been told that. <laughs> I mean, I feel like if I had a nickel for every time right. I've had oh, someone God. come back yeah. at me and be like, "But Kelly," and I'm like, "I like, bro, I know, like, I know, okay, I get it." Read any book on the 20th century, <laughs> just like, just li- anything, please. Anything, read anything, any book. just any please. book. Yeah. So, like you mentioned earlier too, I think this is an important point. In, in sort of understanding um, the tactics that are being used today, you mentioned the cross burning thing. And I think this is a really important thing to point out to people because, you know, a lot of people think that that has some kind of biblical um, religious meaning to it. And it doesn't. Uh, it came from Birth of a Nation, right? Like it was yeah. borrowed from D.W. Griffith. Yeah. Um, and like a lot of the clan of that era were inspired by birth of a nation like a lot of their mm-hmm. i mean that really was yeah. sort of what spurred them to to, to reform right and yeah. gw griffith you know <laughs> birth of a nation for those of you guys who, who don't know what that movie is is a movie that is at once a cinematic t- masterpiece and the mm-hmm. most problematic racist and consequential movie probably ever made right like as, as far as that goes. So it is enormously um, accomplished in its, as a work of cinema um, and hugely influential in reshaping cinema and was the like the Marvel movie of its time, right? It was a massive, massive, massive blockbuster hit in 1915. And G.W. Griffith just thought, you know what looks cool on film? Burning across. And it, you know, it's partially too because it's based on... Thomas Dixon's novel, The Klansmen, where they right, burn, right. they also burn crosses in the novel, right? Where in, to, they burn crosses on the hillside so someone else will burn a cross and it's like, right, a it's the, to, like oh, right, because it's communicate. the beacon thing. Yeah, it's yes, like yes, a beacon, yes. right? right. Um, and, and yeah, and so very much it influenced 20s Klansmen. Um, and then they reinterpreted the burning cross in a theological way to then claim that, you know, this is like the light of Jesus that 
shines upon you while also using it to terrorize as many people they could terrorize by burning crosses on their lawn. Lighting stuff on fire in general in someone's yard is like not generally generally a benevolent gesture, right? (laughs) No, I mean, and so, but it, but it's very typical of the way they did things, right? Which is we're going to interpret this in a theological way and have this very positive message behind this and then use it in a way that's actually remarkably the opposite, right? To have this message that we've attached to it, but maybe also have this really like terrible thing that we're doing with it, right? Um, Yeah. And have those two together and then be like, but, you know, really, we're just bringing the light of Jesus. And it's like, no, this is not what's happening here, right? Like what you're doing is you're terrorizing people and doing really awful things. And we should weigh those together we can't just claim that you're out there just lighting crosses up for jesus like that's not yeah it's not enough yeah you can't just do that um but yeah i mean it's it's interesting how much effort they put into reinterpreting a lot of their symbols and these sorts of things to have this theological meaning behind them um you know, uh, with the hood and rope too, right? To say, oh no, we're wearing Jesus' example on our body. And I'm like, yeah, but you're also hiding your identities um, and you're trying to look scary, right? Right. You're doing both of those. Um, <laughs> yeah. So like, that's really interesting because the sort of justification piece of the like, I'm we both know this thing I'm doing is scary and intimidating, but I'm going to present it sort of within, um, you know, this like, Oh no, 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 it's just this. Right. And I think we see a ton of that with the, with modern right-wing movements as Mm -hmm. well. The whole like, Oh, it's just a meme or, Oh, it's like, it's just a joke or it's just a joke or like take a joke lib or like the, the whole sort of like, oh, no, 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 we're only concerned about like preserving Western culture. Like what's what's wrong with you? Or we're only concerned about protecting children from pedophiles. Right. There's 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 always that sort of like, where can I couch this in the place that is most socially acceptable so that I can carry on with my far right agenda Right. And, and also you're not going to be mad at me or <laughs> just right, like right. people who aren't paying that much attention. Right. Aren't, aren't going to be mad at me. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's, it's hard, right. Because they are really good at maneuvering is the thing yeah. that was always so interesting to me when I was doing this work is how good they were at this negotiation where it's like, no, 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 no. What we're really doing here is this. And right. I was always like, no, 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 <laughs> what you're really doing is also this, right? Like, um, because, you know, part of me as a historian had to take somewhat seriously what they're saying, you know, about what they're doing. But you also have to weigh what the effects are, right? And the consequences and these sorts of things, too. Um, yeah. But it was just always so fascinating to see their maneuverability and the way that they could negotiate this stuff to try to um, remove the harm that they had done and say like, no, actually we're not really that like that scary. Right. 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 It's not that scary. Like if you really pay attention to us and it's like, yeah, but you are. Yeah. And, And again, like it's the thing. So, you know, 
there's a sort of inherent ridiculousness to the clan that I think probably still makes them a little dangerous that like that they can almost hide behind the absurdity of it. And I, I, the, the thing that I had mentioned to you, um, when we started talking about this, that I, I guess you didn't know about is the breakfast cereal thing. Yeah. With, yeah. With, with the proud boys. I had not known about that. Yes. <laughs> um, and to enlighten listeners, when you join the proud boys, one of the initiation rituals is um, you are, um, you have to name four breakfast cereals, like captain crunch, fruit loops, whatever, um, while getting the crap beat out of you. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, like it's inherently stupid, right? Like it's, it is, it's meaningless and it's, and it's like pop culture and it's like, it's got this like weird element of nostalgia to it and it makes the Proud Boys seem ridiculous, like by design. And Gavin McGinnis is the founder of the Proud Boys has said as much where he's like, yeah, it's just a dumb thing that we do, and it's and it's and it's it's all like it is it is partly a way of of legitimizing, of making something seem harmless and weird and just stupid, because the Proud Boys are understand the value of that when when they say that we're a we're a drinking club with a politics problem, it's like right. ah, ha, ha, like oh you guys yeah. right like yeah. yeah you're right all you do is drink and like talk about libs and like no but then you also try to like overthrow the government and yeah right and that's and that's what makes people not sort of not look right or their their um, focus on how things are just a joke right I mean this is what yeah. so John gave me homework for this because I was hit <laughs> to the proud boys and so I mean and so one of the things that was interesting to me is um, and was interesting to me too because one of the things I paid attention to you in 2016 whew, which feels really long ago <laughs> Wait, but also not super long ago right um, it's interesting how time works that way um, with a lot I of the alt right folks, yeah, yeah, just you know, all the alt right folks that were just invested in all kinds of memes, who were just like, yeah. no, these are all jokes, right? Like yeah. they're all yeah. fun. Like I don't understand all you people that are taking it so seriously, right? Like what's wrong with you that you can't just get that these are jokes, right? Yeah. Um, and again, it's a similar, it's that same sort of tactic, right? Which it throws it back on you, which says that there's something wrong with you as an interpreter, um, mm-hmm. that you're missing out on this somehow and you're not getting it or something has gone wrong in the translation or something like this. Um, when, you know, actually jokes about genocide aren't that funny, right? And they're not really joking about genocide. They're actually sort of serious about genocide. Right, fact, yeah. And if, right? It, if it's like if it's like we yell about breakfast cereal, then why would you take our jokes about genocide seriously? And it's like, mm, that right. kind of seems like the point. Right, <laughs> like- <laughs> right, right. Um, and, and so it's, um, it's that kind of, it's that piece that's always bothered me about, you know, I had this, co- this colleague when I was in graduate school, who was always like, you know, I'm an equal opportunity offender, which has always oh, been this like phrase yeah, that yeah, makes yeah. me like bananas, yeah. right? And I was thinking today about that, you know, about the like the people that are like, oh, I just defend everyone. And I'm yeah. like, okay, well, 
yeah, sure, okay. But it's because the things you say are actually offensive, right? Yeah, it's because you it's, suck. It's because, yeah, thanks, John. It's because you actually suck, right? Like, you know, and this this sort of way of being in the world where it's like the things that you say that cause offense are because they are offensive, right? It's not actually funny, right? The things that you're doing that I was thinking a lot about this today, right? In the similar vein where it's like, this is not a joke. This is actually you being serious. It's you trying to bounce back behind the humor to get away with this, right? Yeah. Or to jump yeah. back behind irony if you're using irony um, to get behind it again, to say mm -hmm. that somehow we've missed the mark on this or something like that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's like you guys aren't actually playing around like, and we're not fooled by it either. Right. Um, but this attempt to do it, I find to be remarkably frustrating, um, but is a very common tactic that they continue to use. And it just makes me kind of want to lose my mind actually. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah and, and so, like so the other thing that this made me all think about like we could get into the boogaloo boys as well and like as a great example of using absurdity to do something terrible um mm -hmm. where you're like there you, you're the name of your like far right group comes from the movie breaking to electric boogaloo and it's a joke on Civil War II, Electric Boogaloo. And it's actually, they want another civil war. And they wear Hawaiian right. shirts. And, like, one of them was just arrested for terrorism last week. Like, you know, or, like, a couple days ago. So, you know, again, it's, like, it's hiding behind the absurdity. Sure. And, and, and trying to engage with kind of, like, cultural memes to latch on to as much sort of um, uh, validity as you can. But, but the thing that, like, I really sort of strikes me and i think it's worth spending a couple, couple of minutes talking about is the way that enrique tario who was one of the most visible proud boys and was the one <clears throat> sentenced to the longest prison sentence of any of the january 6 proud boys um is afro-cuban um and you know the proud boys are often called the white supremacist group and like i get why people call them that and and i and i and i think I'm kind of fine with them saying that, but also I think it is useful to specifically talk about what their agenda is mm -hmm. and how they don't necessarily define, like they intentionally define it around um, Western chauvinism as opposed mm -hmm. to white supremacy. The end goal is the same. It just sort of expands what is acceptable in terms of what whiteness is. It sort of, it, it gets around the assumption that I think a lot of people have that whiteness ultimately is about skin color. And it kind of isn't because whiteness has been malleable over the mm -hmm. course of whiteness's existence, right? Like where Italians didn't used to be white and now they are. Irish didn't used to be white and now they are. And, you know, it sort of allows them by, with Tario to be like, no, we're not white supremacists. Look, he's Afro-Cuban. Right, right. But, but it is <laughs> right, and it's right. and it's still the same thing, and like I just I, I I wonder like how we can how we can sort of better use historical examples or like articulate sort of like that the sort of trajectory of white Christian nationalism that wraps itself in these like other things that are still the same goal. It's it's it seems tricky. To me. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting to me 
when I think about you talking about folks um, following behind Ron DeSantis, who was Catholic, right? right? And thinking about how outside the sphere that would have been of 1920s Klansmen who were anti-Catholic, right? And so that what was white Christian nationalism in the 20s is not white white Christian white Christian nationalism is, excuse me, um, now, right? Right. My brain is not working. That's okay. Yeah. Um, But uh, it's late. Um, So I think that we are seeing those things expand in some ways and to who it includes and how those definitions of both white and Christian have become more expansive as time has gone on, right? Um, So that those definitions were a little bit more narrow in the twenties than they are now. And so we can see how that kind of shift can happen. Right. Um, Partially too, because it means you have more people to bring into your movement. Right. Um, Just kind of practically, it means that you can have more folks that you can draw from if you're more expansive in how you understand those terms. Now, I don't know if they're thinking that practically, about this one way or another. Um, but that's kind of what I moved to to think about too. Maybe I shouldn't say that. Maybe that gives people ideas. <laughs> I don't <laughs> think it does. I, I think you're right on. Um, but I think that that's part of it too, right? Is to say yeah. like, if we're shifting to say we're talking about Western chauvinism, right? Maybe that means that we're drawing in a different crowd than if we had just said that we're about white Christian nationalism, right? That, that yeah. you know, does something different. It signals to a similar crowd still, but maybe does something a little bit more than um, they had planned on, right? And can be more expansive. And I don't want to say inclusive because that feels wrong here. Yeah. But, you <laughs> no, know, it just, yeah, it just doesn't. But inclusive yeah. Inclusive in a terrible way. Yeah. Inclusive, right. Yeah. Inclusive in like the but worst way that. possible. Yeah. Right. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. I wish listeners could see the face I'm making because it's like a really like, what have I wrought kind of face, but um, not, not that kind of inclusive, not that kind of inclusive. Yeah. And like, you know, I was also like, I can't stop thinking about, and I had to look this up because I couldn't remember which racist mass shooter it was because there's so many of them, but like it turned out it's the Buffalo mass shooter. Um, And I, I, I haven't been able to get out of my head. Right this this thing in his manifesto where he talks about him not being a practicing christian but believing in christian values and believing that like america is a christian nation interesting and like that to me is really fucking terrifying because that to me says that this sort of broad far-right militant um you know western chauvinist supremacist group whatever you want to call it right can include Christian nationalism and can include people who identify with Christian nationalism who themselves don't identify with Christianity. And right. that, right. That to me says that like Christian nationalism itself has expanded its scope so much that it's like <laughs> inclusive. <laughs> I, feel, I feel really bad about us using that, but I don't know. I'm looking for a different term, but I'm, that it's, in, I'm it's inclusive of people yeah. who are not themselves Christian in the same way that Enrique Tarrio like is not going right. to you know be considered white to a lot of white supremacists, although they're perfectly happy to use him. And and 
you know, it, again, it's almost like Trump as well. Like everybody knows the guy's never been to a fucking church. Like we, right. like, we all know this. We, nope. You're, you're lying to yourself if you say otherwise. And I don't think anybody is really that stupid to think that he actually believes anything whatsoever. But like it's almost irrelevant because as long as you are part of sort of the end goal, whatever right. that end goal is. And I don't think the end goal has fundamentally changed since the 1920s. Right. If, as long as you're part of that end goal, then you can be on board. You you can yeah. be you can be Catholic and part of this movement. You can be black and part of this movement, like of of working for white supremacy. Right. It it is. It seems like most of these groups are ahead of us um, in terms of our ability to really understand what their coded kind of language is, and and that I think is a place that needs more more work. No, I agree. I agree. Yeah. And scary. It is. Anyway, um, that was fun. (laughs) I was like, I was like, and we'll end on on that being a bummer for everyone. Um, But soccer's great. (laughs) But soccer, soccer's a lot of fun. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So um, have a good weekend. Yeah, have a great weekend. <laughs> we hope we hope it gets better from here. <laughs> That's right. We can only move up, surely. Right? Go watch some soccer. That's right. <laughs>